I introduced myself at the first service, so I guess I'll do that again. I'm Pastor Shannon, for those of you who don't remember what I look like, since I haven't been here for a few weeks, while I was on vacation. You also don't have to worry, I won't do the whole sermon in French or anything like that. So let us pray together. Patient teacher, we call upon your name today, asking for your spirit to fall afresh on us. Through the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts, invite us into the Pentecost story so we too can be inspired and renewed by your power. Amen. Our first scripture reading today was about hope. Now, hope isn't a word I usually associate with Pentecost. Instead, I usually think of the pageantry of Pentecost, in case you didn't notice that when you came in. I'm a little caught up in that. Every year, I search online for those industrial-grade confetti cannons, and Kevin thought this was a great idea, so thanks, Kevin, for your support there. Um, but uh, Paul Metcalf, our custodian, did not think that was a good idea, and I'm sure many of you wouldn't appreciate it quite as much either. But see, Pentecost is such a strange story, and the pageantry can help us to embody it, to step into it, unless we get distracted, which is part of my problem, from exploring what it means. The story starts off in a whisper, a whisper of prayer among the followers of Jesus that explodes into a windy, fiery party that freaks out the neighbors so much they assume everyone is drunk. Peter has to assure them that that couldn't possibly be the case because it is only nine in the morning. And then Peter preaches. You remember Peter, right? Like, you've heard stories about Peter before. He's kind of a famous disciple. He's the one who tried to walk on water, but slipped. He's the one who declared Jesus to be the Messiah, but then immediately misunderstood Jesus' teaching. And he's the one who denied Jesus and ran away at the crucifixion. But here he is transformed, He recites scripture from the prophet Joel, naming what has happened as a fulfillment of the hope of scripture. The Holy Spirit has been poured out on us, he says. Salvation is at hand. Listen to our story, to the story of Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified and then freed from death. And we can be free too. That's our hope as Christians. Perhaps as all people that we shall be saved from that which traps us, that the love of God can transform us in all our failings in powerful ways, that through this story, we too have inherited power and promise. If Peter can change, there's hope for us all, even if no one throws confetti at us. Except that hope in freedom is not something I've often felt in church circles these days. Most of you have heard about the 2019 Special General Conference of our denomination, either here or seen on the news. And even without United Methodist politics involved, I know that a lot of our public spaces can be contentious nowadays because it seems like so many people are on edge, defensive. 
When we do gather all in one place, as those first followers of Jesus did that Pentecost long ago, there's often more debate than hope, unless you come to confirmation class. I might have to define the term confirmation. It isn't one that you find in the Bible. In our denomination, it's not a sacrament. Instead, it's wrapped up in baptism, and it's emblematic of the dance of grace we participate in with God. When God calls us, and we are free to respond. In baptism, we are welcomed into the family of Christ, acknowledging the grace that God has shown us since before our birth. We recognize in our baptism that God is calling us and loving us, and we use baptism to mark ourselves as belonging to God. In confirmation, we make the conscious decision to respond to God's grace by joining the church that has welcomed us. And this year, we have five young people who will be confirmed. They spent from September to May meeting to learn more about our faith and to be more ready to respond to God's grace. And of course, there are many places in this church where there is hope. And also, of course, sometimes the hope in confirmation class was a tad underwhelming, those classes when they would blink at me sleepily when I asked a question. But I have always been able to find hope in confirmands, and this year that was even more evident given the uncertainty, disappointment, and pain I experienced within the denomination and in my own life. The five confirmands who are before you today were all baptized right here at Calvary. Three of them are children of people who grew up in the church. Both Jen Duthoy and Melissa Rankin remember when Pastor Steve was here the first time. Most of them have been acolytes or participated in Sunday school. We had a scavenger hunt with using the Bible, and I teased them that they didn't need to look at the table of contents because they could just sing the song that Miss Amy and Miss Rhonda taught them in Sunday school. And, probably most importantly for Methodists, they all like donuts. <laughs> they also love to serve. Uh, Sylvie, Marla, and Riley all participated in our mini-retreat that included serving a meal at Centennial. And for them, it was one of their favorite parts of confirmation. And Aiden and Kevin have served at the soup kitchen and talk about those experiences frequently in class. And they and their parents were the saints that cleaned up after attending the interfaith Seder without being asked. And even though the five of them can be quiet at times, they were all theologians. It's not usually something we say about youth, but it's true. They asked questions, critiqued creeds, which is how we got the one that we'll be reciting today in a little bit. And they related the topics in class to what happens to them at school or at home. One of my favorite theological conversations we had was about the nature of grace, and one of the confirmands used the metaphor of the unconditional love of a dog to talk about God's unconditional love for us. And another of my favorite conversations was, was in writing the creed that's in your bulletins. 
We read through the Apostles' Creed, and before I even asked them questions about it, they started telling me about the things they would include. One confirmand said, what about forgiveness? Jesus loves us and forgives us. Why doesn't the creed talk about that? I believe another said we should include something about donuts or M&Ms in our creed, but I did forget to include that in the bulletin, so I apologize. We also had real conversations about what our hopes and dreams for the church, universal, and for Calvary itself are. I was trying to loosen them up a bit and tease them when I asked if our dream for Calvary was to have comfier chairs or even couches instead of pews. And they totally ignored me and said the pews are fine. What they wanted was a church that is loving and accepting and affirming. Some of them struggled with joining the church after general conference. One wrote a letter to our bishop, totally on her own, seeking guidance and insight as to what the bishop thought of the future of United Methodism. But whether or not this was their conscious thought, I believe their decision to join the church after all is in some ways a commitment to help change it. Your young men shall see visions, Peter quoted the prophet Joel on that first Pentecost, and your old men shall dream dreams. Our confirmands are envisioning a future, one they recognize is possible because of growing up here at Calvary. They are dreaming dreams not because their experience of God's love through Calvary United Methodist Church has been lacking in some way, but because that love has emboldened them and nurtured them as the Holy Spirit pours out over all of us. In our first scripture reading today from Paul's letter to the Romans, he declares that in hope we were saved. His letter also has some pageantry, not in the same way as the Pentecost story, but in his description of the whole of creation groaning in labor pains. Here we are as a church, as a denomination, as a society even, struggling and suffering sometimes. We are all eagerly longing for the glory about to be revealed that Paul promises. But here's the thing. We can't just sit around and twiddle our thumbs while we wait. Those first followers of Jesus, they got together and worshipped. When the Spirit came, they didn't wonder if this was it. They opened their mouths and responded to it. In Paul's letter, the metaphor of labor pains reminds us that babies don't just teleport out of the womb when they're ready, but that their mothers have to work to bring the baby into the world. For us, just as we wait to find out what the denomination will become, we have to live into the dreams and visions given to us. Paul says we will wait for what we hope for with patience, but he doesn't mean without action. We have to live into our hope, for in hope we were saved. Confirmation reminds us all that we can't just wait around for God to shower us with tongues as if of fire or confetti or something attention-getting like that. God has already invited us to live into our hopes. And now we have to respond. But confirmands, I want to talk to you all for a minute here, instead of just about you, as I have been doing most of the sermon. 
I've lifted you up as leaders, as people whose dreams and visions can inspire and inform all of us. And I mean that. Speak your truth in worship to your mentors and teachers, to your families and clergy. Share your gifts, even if you aren't always asked to. But of course, remember that hope is not easy. When you join a church, you are joining to be part of something, to to help lead something and live into something new, yes. But you are also joining a community of people who will pray for you when you're too tired or sad or mad to feel much like praying, let alone leading. You are joining a community of people uh, who love you, who will hold on to hope for you when you don't feel like you can. Now, Pastor Steve often jokes during baptism that these are the people who have committed to pray for you, teach you, but also to lend you their car. It's a little bit sooner now than when he does that with babies. (laughs) But it's true. You're joining a community of people who pledge in the confirmation liturgy to do all in their power to increase your faith, confirm your hope, and perfect you in love. So when you come to kneel this morning, I want you to remember that. And I want all of you to remember that as well. We're going to take a moment of reflection and commitment here, uh, reflecting on the ways not just our confirmands, but all of us are called to hope. And then we will begin our response with a creed. And this response to God's invitation is about action, not words. But may these words remind us of the work we have to do and launch us into it. And may we today, this week, this year, surround our confirmands in prayer, look to them as leaders as we try to live into the hope that God has given us. May we surround them and one another in love lifting one another up when we falter, and holding on to hope for each other. The hope of salvation and freedom, the hope of love. May it be so for all of us. Amen.